Off the ball. Anthony, Anthony and Anthony. That would be the front three for Manchester United. Martial, Alanga and Anthony. I've laughed or socked off. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. So Kenny, the Manchester United revival continues. Four wins in a row. <laughs> no clean sheet. Disaster. What's the point of it? What's the point of it? Uh, 65 minutes gone. Arsenal have just equalised. They have come flying out of the blocks in the second half. How did Manchester United stop that momentum and end up winning that game? Yeah, it was interesting. I felt they had to do something before that, before the equalising uh, Arsenal goal. You could see it coming. Uh, Nathan just getting swamped a little bit, particularly in central mil- midfield. I thought McTominay and Ericsson were struggling a little bit. Arsenal getting plenty of overloads in there. They were pushing them back. They were pretty incessant in terms of their pressure. You felt as if he substitutions had to come. They did. They were strange ones that Ronaldo came on. Uh, uh, and Rashford got flipped over to the, uh, the right-hand side. So immediately you're looking at it thinking, I'm not exactly sure of, uh, of that substitution. But... Um, yeah, it was amazing, really. It was amazing what, what transpired next. Manchester United getting penned in, like I said, but always you feel as if it got an opportunity in terms of counter-attack. Made a point about Arsenal before the game. They'd fancy the, their chances to pick uh, Manchester United up because of the pace they have down the sides. Saka, Martinelli and Jesus to an extent. But I'm sure Ars- uh, Manchester United probably would have felt the same, the pace of Rashford and Jadon Sancho um, uh, in particular. Anthony was an interesting one. Uh, was watching him in that kind of first half. You know, you're looking at him and obviously I've seen him play for Ajax, but you know, you're looking at him up close, you're looking at his qualities kind of technically very good little schemer low centre of gravity didn't strike me as somebody that would a huge kind of turn of pace in terms of going somebody past somebody in those 1v1 situations so that was interesting and when you have players like that in the team you need other players to complement them who do have the pace Nathan to get in behind and stretch teams in behind so those players like Anthony can come on the inside and find those little pockets to play and that's what United had today with the pace of Rashford in behind down those central areas and he was key, obviously, goes without saying for those uh, second and third goals. The second goal, he shouldn't even have been there, really. The substitution made, he was flipped onto the right. Ronaldo was down the middle. But when Fernandes picked up that ball five yards inside his own half and looked up, it was Rashford who was in that central area. There was only one place Rashford wanted to go. And you have to put a little bit of blame to those Arsenal defenders. I talk about decision-making ma- uh, decision at that level. And Gabriel... Uh, ben White even and certainly Saliba are good athletes, uh, Nathan, aren't they? Mm. They're quick, they're not particularly slow, but sometimes it's just not about, it's not just about out and out pace, it's about decision making, it's about dropping into the space early and not conceding that space and giving Marcus Rashford that space to run into, and that's what they did instead of backing off early and allowing Rashford to have the ball to his feet, they took a chance, they held that line for as high as they could, we see a lot of that in the modern game they're not the, not the only team that does it but when the quality of the passes of that level from Fernandes and the time, in the, run, the time of the run is as good as it was from Rashford or his pace, you can't deal with it. You get exposed. And that's what happened with that second goal. You felt, I felt that was the key. You really felt that's when the whole game kind of turned. It was a real shame to see Rashford go off with potentially a hamstring injury towards the end. Like one goal since January coming into this that night against Liverpool. Do you see a, a transformation in him almost happening live on the pitch when he's scoring those goals? It was like a metamorphosis, wasn't it? We all uh, we could see it happen before our eyes uh, almost. It's the first time I've seen. He's been in a dark place for a period of time. I'm not really too sure. Maybe maybe one of those people closest to him uh, know the reasons why, but he hasn't been himself. Hasn't been enjoying his football. He's been the shadow of the player kind of burst onto the uh, scene a couple of years ago and that's a shame I don't think necessarily you have to be a Manchester United supporter 
to kind of be saddened by that. I think any follower of football, when you see the qualities which he has, um, you know, a young player kind of bursting through to kind of have a big downturn like that and to be really kind of struggling mentally as well. I think you really feel from, and you only hope he can pull himself through. Didn't look as if that was going to be the case. He was linked with PS, uh, PSG, wasn't he? In the summer, looked as if he was going to actually leave the country, get himself out of Manchester, get himself out of England to mm. try and find himself and find a little bit of form. But the move didn't happen. He stayed at Old Trafford. And that performance today was absolutely phenomenal. Like I said, Manchester United supporters will be absolutely delirious leaving that stadium today. And like I said, the chit-chat on those trains and those buses and in the car parks and pubs around Old Trafford won't be about the impact that Anthony made in that Manchester United team. It'll be about the re-emergence of Marcus Rashford in a Manchester United jersey. Casemiro again had to make do with a place on the bench it was Scott McTominay and Christian Eriksen with Bruno Fernandes just in front what's your sense of that Manchester United midfield and the quality it can have if Casemiro comes in like the unselfishness of Christian Eriksen some beautiful touches Bruno Fernandes the quality of the pass though again sort of glittered in and out of the game at times how do you like that lineup of Eriksen playing a little bit deeper it's going to be difficult to fit all those uh, players in I'm not a big fan of the partnership of McTominay and Eriksson in that uh, central midfield. I think if those two are going to play, they need an extra player in there. I need to think they need to play with three in there. Casemiro's the obvious one. You, you'd, you'd imagine 60 million, the wages they're paying him. You know, at some point, he's mm. going to come in there. But he's a very particular type of player, Casemiro. He's not a great athlete, Nathan. Doesn't need up the ground. He likes to operate in that pocket, in that deep line midfield role, really in a midfield three with players, two players around them. But if you're going to play with that midfield three, you're only going to play with one central striker. You're not going to play with that 10. And now you're scratching your head looking at Fernandes and saying, how are we going to get this lad into the team? We can't get him into the team now in that preferred position as a 10. Do we flip him onto the flanks where he's not particularly as effective? Or maybe do we have to park him on the bench? So they're the kind of decisions which Ten Hag are going to, is going to have to wrestle with going forward. But it's good so options you, so to you, have. So you don't see, which I think most people see as the obvious, is that Casemiro just comes in for McTominay. It's a midfield three of Casemiro, Eriksen and Fernandes. No, because I think that's a lightweight defensively. I think you're open. In a three, I like McTominay in there in terms of his physicality, his athleticism, his ability to get around the pitch. I don't think he's the greatest defender, but he gives you real pace and energy and kind of athleticism in that central area of the pitch. Casemiro in there, as good a defender as he is in terms of reading the game, very one-paced. Eriksen, an attack-minded player, a ball player, and Fernandes as well, who just wants to get ahead of the ball and get up the pitch. For me, that even that three you've mentioned there doesn't have that natural balance. For me, it's like uh, Casemiro, McTominay, or Fred in that central area, and possibly Eriksen as well. So that's 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 the interesting one. That's what probably Ten Hag's going to wrestle with going forward, but what he's not going to wrestle with after that performance today is whether Marcus Rashford starts in this team. Because of his versatility, Nathan, I think he could make an argument. He can play off, off either flank. Mm. If he's looking at Sancho thinking, not getting enough from him, very easily flip Marcus Rashford over to the left and possibly accommodate Cristiano Ronaldo at times in that central area if he feels as if he wants to get Ronaldo's quality on the pitch. No clean sheet, but what about them defensively? Uh, you look across the back four, Delo seems to uh, be a manager's favourite now. Malassi got roasted earlier on yeah, by Saka, but then stuck with it and yeah. uh, seemed to get into the ascendancy. And the centre-back partnership of Varane and Martinez. I, where are you and Martinez now, having seen him for 
three, four games. Uh, Jordy's out. I've got to be honest. Uh, which he had a rocky start. He got a huge amount of headlines the past couple of games in terms of he's you know really come to the fore and has shown his personality and he looks now comfortable in Manchester United jersey. And certainly his performances uh, have been better. But you can see the kind of limitations which he has. I think he's got to slow himself down a little bit. Looks very forward up uh, for me going on to the pitch too much so for me. I think as a central defender, ideally, you need a measure of calmness to you when you're on the pitch. I think that helps you in terms of your decision-making. He's got to realise very quickly he can't go and fight every centre-forward he comes up against. Physically, he hasn't got the power to do it. So he needs to smarten up a little bit for me. He's got some good qualities, don't get me wrong. He's a good competitor. Um, he's swift enough, nimble enough, uh, nimble enough over the ground. I think he's good quality on the ball when he looks up. He looks to play forward and breaks the lines. But I think he's just got to mature. He's not there yet. But I think he needs to get better. Otherwise, those little limitations, frailties, which he has at the moment, are going to get exposed. But I think it helps when you've mentioned that Dallow and Malassi in those full-back positions, I think have defended well. I think they've, got, they've narrowed up to their centre-halves at times. They've given them some decent cover. And it looks like a reasonably solid defensive line, Nathan, doesn't it? How often have we said that? Again, Manchester United the past year or so. It hasn't happened too often. So I think there's a partnership in the making there, certainly between Martinez and Varane, but it's all about the defensive unit for me. And Dallow is probably playing his best, has has had his, and is having his best spell in the Manchester United jersey. And Malassi has shown enough to show that, yeah, let's stick with him. Had a difficult time against Saka today, but he wouldn't be alone in that respect. Saka's as good as they come in that area of the pitch but he stuck at it like you said showed a bit of character didn't go under and finished the game reasonably strong so that's good to see I think shows he has a little bit of personality If I know you Kenny you'll be home after this on the couch scrolling through social media all evening to see what everyone's <laughs> reaction is uh, everyone will be hammering Arsenal that this is typical Arsenal five wins in a row to start the season first real test that's not all, typical Arsenal is it all, five wins in a row all the momentum all the momentum and they blow it yeah now you know you know is uh, alongside me that's not the case having having watched the game they blew the game today at key moments uh, like I said individual decision making cost them but I think the overall play was good uh, particularly in possession when they found the rhythm and they found the groove probably 20 minutes before half time and 20 minutes after half time Nathan we saw their quality that from four some of the link up play uh, between them look very comfortable mm. Odegaard in the little pockets linking up at Saka it's a funny when he plays the 10 Odegaard but I saw it last year with him he really leans towards that right hand side that inside right pocket he wants to get close to Saka he wants to get within 10 feet 15 yards with him he's the one he knows he can feed and he can work with little one twos and get Jesus in into the game so that front four is probably as good as there is in the premiership at the moment just need to tighten things up in behind and, and when you say in behind do you mean the two in the middle of midfield yeah, I but, think that's where Arsenal fans question yeah. with as, as much as Shaq is playing a slightly different role it might have started the season well that's not, their, that's not their strongest two on the pitch mm. today well I certainly wouldn't argue Partey uh, for me and possibly Zinchenko although I was reasonably impressed with Lokonga today I thought he was very competent in terms of uh, what he did. I think there's more to come from him. He's a, he's, a, he's a young player. But for me, Kieran Tierney comes back in the team at his best, Nathan. He strengthens them in that uh, left-back area of the pitch. That releases Zinchenko for me into that central area of the pitch where I think he's at his best because I think Zinchenko has his weaknesses at left-back, particularly in 1v1 situations. You saw him today. He wants to go in and play central mm. midfield. You know, he wants to drift into those central areas. That's where he's most comfortable. That's where he feels as if he can best influence the game. And he doesn't get as exposed in there in that central midfield 
there in central midfield area Nathan he's got players behind him he's got players around him yeah. but in that left back position big switch to play your 1v1 against Bakayo Saka and Mo Salah you know you're in trouble and I think he knows that so I think there's more to come from this Arsenal team there's better players who can come into the starting 11 and actually strengthen that team uh, we could spend the next two hours talking about refereeing decisions and VAR and there was a controversial one in this game and there's reviews going on into a couple of the matches yesterday where I think VAR are already accepting that they got it wrong. It's, it's all got ridiculously messy. But it's always been ridiculously messy and guess what? Get ready. It's always going to be ridiculously messy. So suck it up for those people who wanted VAR in and continue to want it in. Suck it up. That's all I can say. It's not going to go away. There's no, there's no, there's no solution to this. It is what it is. We're just, you're going to have to deal with it. Personally, I didn't want, you know, with my feelings on it, I didn't want VAR coming in. And I'd have it out in a split second in a heartbeat. Uh, I'd get rid of it. No big problem with the decision today. I didn't think it was a free kick. I think the Arsenal goal uh, uh, should have stood. But I can understand there was a bit of contact there. The referee decided to change his mind. I wouldn't have. In a, if the VAR wasn't there in that situation, maybe the referee would allow play to go. Yeah, we'd all be arguing mm. whether it was a free kick, whether it was or not. But I can take that. I can take individual error from the referee. I'll accept it. You know, that's part and parcel of the game for me. That was never a problem. It's interesting situations uh, yesterday you were talking about. Again, interpretation. People talk about, well, VAR has to get better. better. VAR has to improve. But VAR is a fifth official. VAR mm. is a human being. So you might as well be going over and asking the fourth official. It's a fifth official. It's a human being we're asking now to make these judgment calls. So don't be surprised if we're continuing going to be having these arguments. and people are continue going to have to disagree about what's a penalty, what isn't, what's a sending off and what isn't. It's all about again, human it, judgment. It, but also you're saying with these judgment calls, it's meant to be a clear and obvious error. What we're having but what is clear? But we is... can have an argument about what's clear and obvious, Nathan. That well, argument that, goes around in that circles. Was that a clear and obvious error when the referee was standing five Well, the referee away. will tell you, yeah, because he went over and saw and thought, Oh, I've made a clear and obvious error. I'm saying I didn't think it was a clear and obvious error. I'm saying I didn't think it was a free kick. So again, the clear and obvious error argument, it's never going to be resolved because again, we'll all have our interpretation what we perceive to be a clear and obvious error, if you understand what I'm saying. So, so, so for example, the goal, the West Ham goal yesterday, mm. it seems to be a general consensus, disgrace, VAR has to go, this is the low, to the low with VAR. How the hell could that be overturned and a free kick given to Chelsea? I thought it was a free kick. What? I thought it was he a never free touches kick. them. He, I thought, but he, he, he clattered him in his shoulder and he done it deliberately. He left his left leg there. He jumped over Mendy and deliberately trailed his leg to make contact with the Chelsea goalkeeper. That's a free kick. Now, that's how I see it. Doesn't mean I'm right, but that's how I, I see it. That was clear to me. It was, clear, it was clear free kick. He made contact with Mendy, so Mendy couldn't get up quickly and actually uh, try and make the save. But everybody else saw it differently. Now, that might mean everybody else is right. It may not mean I'm right and everybody else is wrong. We but this is the judgment that I'm talking about, and it's never going to be resolved. Do you enjoy talking about it? No. Do you enjoy talking about these well, like, I, every week? I don't think anybody enjoys the fact when a goal scorer is all you're thinking is that thing that happened 30 well, seconds ago. This is what ago. I'm talking about. So you've got to, for me, it's simple, and it's always been simple. Are we getting more decisions right than wrong with VAR? Absolutely. They throw the percentage at 8%, 9%, 9%, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. Is the introduction of VAR bettering the game, making it a better spectacle for the supporters and the public to watch? For me, the answer is a big, fat no. And that's the biggest argument for me. That's it. That's my argument right there. I don't care for getting more decisions right than wrong. That doesn't bother me. Human error has always been part of the game. Suck it up, get on with it. That's life. But, at the, but is the game better? Are we enjoying it more? 
absolutely not. That's spontaneity, celebrating a goal. Whoa, lads, hold it. Have to have a look at the VAR. Just put down a pause. Let's press the pause button. Let's have a look at it for two minutes. Actually, it is a goal. Pick up where you left it. Go and celebrate again. That's spontaneity. Yeah, yeah, let's just replicate that again and celebrate the goal again. I absolutely cringe when I'm watching the football now. That's an absolute shame. And I say that. I'm absolutely hating at the moment in terms of the impact VAR is having on the game. It's an absolute shame. People say, well, we can't go back. Well, we can't go back. And I say, well, why not? Yeah. Well, oh, well, we can't, can we? It's in, it's in. But that's it. That's the argument, it's in. That's the strongest argument I've heard, Nathan. It's in. We can't not, go back. Not there's been a massive improvement or less controversy. <laughs> like, we have more controversy than ever, it feels like. Because even when a decision is made, we're saying, why didn't they go to VAR? Why didn't VAR intervene? Yeah, exactly. Why didn't they put the Why didn't they put the uh, flag up early? You know, why, why didn't they put the uh, flag? Stephen Jerry, the Aston Villa game yesterday. Uh, yesterday, continue, yeah, yeah. But people are continually, continually arguing. Why didn't they put the flag? You can see it's offside. Well, that's the it's clearly offside. That's the consistency where you have the situation with say Liverpool in particular, where somebody's five yards offside and they continue until the passage of play. Yeah, finishes. but what if somebody's four yards offside? What about if they're one yard offside? What about if they're eighteen inches offside? What if they're onside? Where, like where's yesterday? The, yeah, where's the line? Where are we going to put the flag? When are we going to keep uh, keep it down again? circles Nathan we're going on absolute circles with this I'm, I'm guessing the TV companies love this the people who plow money into the game the huge amount of money Sky beats I'm guessing they're absolutely love it absolute tech nerds like can't get a, enough of it they'll never vote it out but I tell you what I think if you if you canvass the vote amongst their football and supporters and actually I think more and more now actually football people players and managers alike I think you'd find the scales are just a narrow weight in favour of kicking this bloody thing into touch Takeaways on the weekend, both Liverpool and Manchester City end up dropping points yesterday. Uh, the common line you keep hearing about Liverpool is that something's just not right. Well, yeah. Well, I've got my own opinion in terms of uh, what's right. It's interesting. I have heard that a little bit, but nobody's expanded on it. So for me, it's, rel- it's relatively uh, simple. You make the argument Darren Nunes uh, coming in, time to sell. That's okay. That's fine. You can make the argument in terms of a bit lapse of concentration defensively. Van Dijk's a bit off. Yeah, that's absolutely fine, but that can uh, come back. Alexander Arnold making mistakes. That's always going to be the case. It's always going to happen. Nothing's going to uh, change there. But the big fundamental for me, and it's been there and it's been there for some time. We probably spoke about it even last year. Liverpool's central midfield, the dynamic has changed in there and it's shifted. It's like those Teutonic plates have just like shifted about uh, 10 degrees. And they've shifted because Jordan Henderson isn't the player that he was mm. 18 years ago. And he can't impact the game as he did in terms of that physical output which he had. Nathan leading the charge in there, that kind of press, counter-press, physicality, energy levels, which he had in there. Him and Wijnaldum, you remember? Those two advanced midfield positions. Fabinho in behind, absolutely perfect. Out-muscled, out-ran, out-pressed, ran over teams, Manchester City included. That's why Manchester City have really struggled with them during that period. But it's shifted. And it's shifted because Jordan Henderson's physical levels have dropped off. And now we're looking at Liverpool midfield with some technically gifted players. Harvey Elliott, wonderful player. Thiago, when he comes in, technically very good. Um, Carvalho, who's come in, interesting player as well for me. Looks like, like a goal scorer. Mm. Physically, he's not going to impose himself too much. And Fabinho now, now is not looking the player that he is in it because he's getting more exposed. He hasn't got that protection, hasn't got that, that security blanket around him. He's a very good operator, Fabinho. Really good reader of the game. Very similar to Casemiro, but he's one-paced. 
and he can't be he can't be running 20 yards to his left and 20 yards to his right putting out fires so now the whole dynamic has changed so for me the Liverpool in transition in that central midfield so are Liverpool going to be a team now are they going to incorporate the likes of Harvey Elliott Thiago and Carvalho into that central midfield now and, and go for, and run with that because that would be interesting because that's that's an absolutely sea change well, in how Liverpool play and uh, the big question is ultimately are they going to be the better team because of it I don't think they will because at the moment they seem in a sort of limbo of as you say that midfield at uh, their best of Vinaldum, Henderson and Fabinho like counter-attacks didn't happen so Liverpool didn't have to defend because they won every duel they recycled the ball so quickly couldn't get at them you couldn't get at that back four for the majority so of the game now if you're looking for more technically skillful creative players like Carvalho or Elliot could almost play as one of the front three as much as yeah. one of the midfielders do you need a shift all over if, if suddenly they're going to become a possession based team like, is that what well, this is, well this, this, this is for me is the interesting conversation so it looks like to me Liverpool potentially now are going to take Manchester City on at their mm. game you know they're looking to incorporate those highly technically gifted ball playing number eights I'm talking about the two positions in advance of Fabinho as we've seen De Bruyne Bernardo Silva Gundogan excel in that area of the pitch are you going to take Manchester City on in that area of the pitch I don't think so I think Liverpool had it right before it taking the opposite approach like physically out muscled suffocate them physically bully them press them don't let them breathe don't let De Bruyne and Gundogan get their heads up and be able to play those passes in behind the Liverpool they're in behind Alexander-Arnold they can't because Liverpool are too quick too aggressive in terms of that press they don't have that now have they got better technical players yes but are they able to get after teams as they did before? No. So now, now opposition have to get more possession of the ball in those central midfield areas, more time to get their heads up, make more passes, and maybe that back Liverpool back forward is being tested a bit more than it was previously because of it. So that's for me. I say a drop-off. I think it is a drop-off in terms of Liverpool's effectiveness, how they're going to be. I don't think Liverpool can compete with Manchester City uh, this year because of that. Now, ultimately, over time, will they improve? And will those players in that central uh, midfield area take them in a different direction? Will they be able to challenge again, playing, for me, slightly different type of football? Maybe so, but what we know is the Liverpool, which existed previously, got underneath the skins of Manchester City and pushed them all the way year in, year out. And at times for me, actually had the edge on that Manchester City team, particularly head-to-head. I don't think Guardiola looks at this Liverpool team with the likes of Thiago, Elliot and Young Cavalio in that central midfield. I think he'd look at that Liverpool team and think, yeah, do you know what? I fancy us now. I'll, I'll take any team on in a game of football. Uh, great stuff as always we'll have Kenny's VAR watch every week from now on I look forward to it no please no 